This morning as we um, come to God's Word, we're going to come before Him in prayer, and um, you'll have a handout that's there within your bulletins. If you don't have a bulletin, you're going to want to grab one, so just raise your hand, someone will bring it to you. Um, but we're going to be praying for Pastor Don Smith as well, because he's going to be leaving on Wednesday, and he's heading off for, for uh, the Philippines to be teaching and training pastors there. Um, the area of China that he's been going to has been uh, become far too dangerous for the pastors that are there to uh, continue to have a big, tall, white guy come and teach them. And so uh, it just gets dangerous when, when uh, every, you go to some of those places and you, you could go for weeks without seeing any Caucasian people at all. And so um, what Pastor Don has done through the, his ministry with Barnabas Brothers is they've, they're paying to bring the pastors from China that he's been working with to the Philippines to train them there instead where it's far safer for them there um and they're also bringing some pastors from japan to be there and uh and there'll be some filipino pastors there as well and so what an incredible opportunity to for for these pastors to have time with pastor don from this upcoming wednesday through the 15th is when he gets back and so as a congregation if we could just be praying for him now and then also for the duration and uh, um, just that the Lord would work mightily. And, and, and then working in these pastors as they go back to China and Japan and their home churches in the Philippines, that the fruit would just be exponential of what the Lord does through, through this work that's taking place. And so, um, will you join me in prayer? Let's pray together. Lord God, we're thankful for um, the heart of Pastor Don to be able to just have a desire to go even to the uttermost parts of this world making disciples. We pray that you would bless him, give him wisdom and exactly what it is that he ought to teach. I pray that you'd prepare the hearts of the pastors coming from China and from Japan and those in the Philippines to be able to hear the teaching and to grow, to be ministered, that they would minister one to another, that they'd minister to Pastor Don as well, Lord, that they would grow so so much during this time, they'd be able to take it back to their churches and continue to make disciples as they spread throughout their countries, Lord. Um, we just pray that, that they would see you, Christ. They'd understand your word. There may be some that are coming that, that even have a faulty view of the gospel. I pray that you would just enable Pastor Don to teach in such a way that there would be such clarity for them. And as happens sometimes, Lord, that even some would come to know you. Bless our time in your word this morning. Lord, you know all who are here. You, you are acquainted with all of our ways. We pray that you would minister to each one of our hearts on this morning for your glory, for our good that you would mold us more and more into your image. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the text before us this morning comes out of Ephesians chapter 5. And we're not getting as far as I intended, but we'll, we'll begin looking at, at primarily verse 1 this morning. The title of the sermon is Imitate Christ. 
begins in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, where it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. The call to imitate Christ. As dear children. We're his children. We're called to imitate him. If you saw my little four-year-old this morning running around the courtyard, you noticed that he had a blue shirt on, short sleeve, a pair of blue shorts on, casual, and a tie pinned to his shirt. I don't know where he got that tie. I brought him to church this morning. There was no tie on him when we left. But I saw him there getting his water. And I said, you have a tie, Andrew. Where'd you get that tie? I don't know. (laughs) Why are you wearing the tie? To look like you. You have a tie. There's imitation that takes place, and, and it's something that kids do, right? You see them... Imitating us, both in good ways and in bad ways. They do it. They see, they see both sides. Up at Camp Oakhurst, we have a dear friend that I've known since high school who her husband was the former director up there. And she came into the dining hall and said, you should hear the conversation out there. It's hilarious. There's all the staff that's out there, and they're talking. They don't know that I know you, but they're talking, and they're saying, have you met Kevin? He looks just like his dad. He talks just like his dad. He's got the same mannerisms as his dad. But there he is, and it is not his dad. And I thought, really? Do I? And sure enough, people here nodding their heads, yes. It happens. And yet God's called us to imitate him. As dear children, we are to imitate him. We're image bearers. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. But then what happened? Man fell into sin. And when man fell... It wasn't that man was simply wounded. He, he died. The image wasn't just tarnished. It was shattered. Huge, huge change that took place when man fell into sin. Leviticus chapter 11 tells us that God says, For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am Holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. The holiness of God and the calling for us to be holy is such that, that it is a major, major aspect of us being created in the image of God. We were created as image bearers, and part of being an image bearer is that we were created holy. And we fell. Man fell. But part of what Christ has done 
is that through his death and through his resurrection and through faith in him, he is molding us and conforming us back into his image, being image bearers once again in the way that we ought to. Um, We continue to be image bearers even in our sinful state, but we will be made more like him. Look at Romans 8.29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. When he talks about being conformed to the image of his Son, it's not talking about us shining like the sun and all its radiance. It's talking about being made holy, forming us, changing us. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, But we all, with unveiled face, behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of our Lord of the Lord. We are being changed. We're being conformed. And 1 John 3.2 tells us, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Conformed into the image of God, we shall be like Him. Holiness made as far as the way in which we live, but then also knowing that positionally, and this is primary to us, positionally, he has made us holy. He sees us as without sin. Not only does he see us as without sin, but he sees us to be holy. And there's aspects of God as we desire to imitate Christ. There's different attributes of God, some in which are incommunicable, which means that we will never be all-knowing. We will never be such that we are at all places at all times. There's things that that are aspects of God that we will never attain, nor should we. But there's also attributes of God that are called communicable attributes, and these are the ones in which this is what God has, and this is what we are to be conformed to as well. There's a few that are mentioned in our text. There's many more that come with this, but I want to look at the ones that are mentioned in our text this morning. And if you look at Ephesians 4.32, in which we looked at last week, it says, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. These are part of the communicable attributes that we are to have, to imitate Christ, to be kind to one another. Think of the kindness of God. The kindness of God came to us before we even repented. He was kind to us. Romans 2, 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God, or the kindness of God, as it's also translated, leads you to repentance? He was kind to you before you repented. The kindness of God came to us not because we deserved it, but it came to us because we serve a God who is a kind God. And he says, imitate me, be kind to one another. Imitate me. Christ's kindness was given to the unthankful and the evil. We see that in Luke 6, 35 and 36, where it says, but love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you'll be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. 
Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. And so we look at our lives and we say, am I imitating God in this area? Am I being kind to others? Am I being kind to people who, who have done nothing to deserve that kind of kindness? People who we don't know. We only know evil that's come from them. In practical ways, I could think of driving down to Carlsbad yesterday to take Jonathan to a wrestling turn, or camp. And there was a lady, I'll use that word loosely, who was tailgating me in the fast lane like like I was the most annoying person in the world to her, yet I had a car right in front of me. And there was a car right in front of them. And there was a car right in front of them. The, there was no way to go faster. And she's just riding me. And I'm looking, going, what do you want me to do? There's nowhere to go. And she zoomed in front of me, cut in front of me. Now she's tailgating the car in front of me. And I watched her go down that freeway. And she tailgated probably 15 cars as I'm watching her go, and then she passed where I couldn't see her anymore. I, I didn't immediately have kind thoughts. My thought was, I want to get up closer and see who this person is. <laughs> Worse than that, I wanted to get to a position where I could box her in to where there's no chance <laughs> of going any further. Everything in me, but I couldn't keep up. I, 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 but I wanted to. Like In my heart, I was like, Oh, it would be so fun. It would be so fun to make it so there's nowhere she can go. What would she do? You know? And, but that's how we typically think, right? Maybe not you, but that's how I typically think. But God's called us to be kind, even to the unthankful and even to the evil. He's called us to be tender-hearted. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Psalm 145, verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. To be, to be tenderhearted is the opposite of to being hard-hearted. A tenderhearted person is sensitive, feels the pain of others. He's called us to imitate Him in that way. You can think of a calloused, hard heart, not sensitive. It's hard for us to hurt a calloused, hard heart. And yet God says that he is tenderhearted. We're to be such that our hearts are soft. We're quick to be able to weep with those that are weeping. We're in a place where someone hurts and we hurt with them. The next thing that he says here is forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you. We looked at this a little bit last week, but I want to spend more time with it this morning because I think it's important. I would venture to say most everybody here can think of somebody in their lives who has wronged them in ways that are incredibly painful. The calling of us imitating Christ is such that we are to forgive one another even as God in Christ forgave you. To imitate Him in that way. I was thinking of 
our culture in which we live and the idea of revenge, the idea of boxing the person in, the idea of making it painful for whoever it is that's wronged us. Um, it's incredibly prominent in our culture. We watch it in movies where the good guy really sticks it to the bad guy. And we get excited about it. Serve them right. They got what they deserved. And yet that's not what Christ has done for us, is it? I was trying to recount the details, but I think if I remember correctly, on August 6th of 1998, I was in South Sudan. I had been there for several weeks. I was told that if you ever hear something over the HF radio about, or the ham, whatever the ham radio they were using, about your grandfather, it means you need to get out of this place as soon as possible. And this area was toned Sudan. There's a war going on. We slept with our shoes on. We had sat phones. We had our to-go bags. Like, um, so many people had been killed. It was in a war zone. And, and I'm not exaggerating. I mean, literally, it was, it was horrific. And we had been bringing food in and set up feeding centers and medical centers and training people and doing evangelism. But I remember hearing this, and, and, uh, and if I remember correctly, it was on that day, and I don't think I was able to get out till the next morning. Um, because I remember calling saying, what am I supposed to do? I cannot get out. And they said, just if you can find a way to get out, you need to get out tomorrow. And uh, in a plane land, it was a buffalo plane that landed, and someone had been dropping off something, and I ran out there with a friend, Jim of mine, and I said, we got to get out of here. And they said, we can't take you unless it's an emergency. And I'm like, it's an emergency. we got to get out of here. And so we got, they let us get on the plane. There was no chairs on there, no seats on the plane. We had our, our little fold-up beach chairs. We sat on this plane, and the plane took off, and we landed that morning in Nairobi. Somewhere in the air, as we were in the air on August 7th of 1998, the U.S. Embassy around 10.30 in the morning got bombed in Nairobi and in Tanzania. So we landed there in Nairobi, and it was chaos, chaos. Um, the bomb had killed over 200 people. There was over 4,000 people in Nairobi that were injured. And, uh, and so I landed literally like it had just happened. There were, later that evening into the next day, there was a pastor from Calvary Chapel in Nairobi that, by the name, his name, Pastor Gitu, and he um, couldn't find his wife. Wife had gone to get her, her certificate for a computer class that she had passed, and uh, for her certificate for her degree for this, and she never came home. So we looked in the hospitals, couldn't find her, looked all over, couldn't find her. Um, eventually, they went to the morgue, and at that point, it was, not, it, it, was, it, was, it was not pretty there at all. Way more people died than what they could ever hold, so there's no refrigeration, nothing like that. And they found her there. She had three daughters and a son. Um, Sarah. Esther, Joseph, and Mary. 
And I spent the next couple weeks with them. Took them on safari, wept with them, listened to these four kids that were all under the age of about 14. Just weep because they missed their mom. Just weep. We did the funeral service, and it was so painful. The whole process was just, my heart broke for these kids and for the husband. And on August 20th, the United States bombed Sudan and Afghanistan in retaliation to these bombings, supposedly finding the people that were responsible for the bombings. Don't know that that was the case, but they bombed Sudan and Afghanistan, and Gitu and his family didn't have any kind of TV or anything like that, and so I'm like, as soon as I had heard this, I got in the car, I drove to their house, and honestly, like in my heart, it was just like, I am bringing them the best news that they could hear right now. I was, like, I was literally like excited to tell them. And I pulled up to where their house was. The kids came running out. I rolled down my window. Kids were all there, and I said, you guys, the United States just bombed the people who killed your mom. And I think of the oldest daughter. Her eyes got all teary, and she said, you, you bombed them? And I said, yes. And she said, you should have forgiven them. And it just melted me. I mean, I went from, like, bringing them the best news that they could hear to listening to this little girl whose mom was killed and just thinking, like, my heart was so far from where her heart was. Another example of extreme was Justin Alfred, Pastor Justin Alfred taught here for several years in our midweek study. He had a daughter who dated a guy in late high school who abused her. She had graduated from high school. She broke up with this guy. Now, Justin Alfred played football for Mississippi State. He had several degree black belts in multiple martial arts, collected guns. The guy's massive. He talked about how somebody got mad at him on the road and started giving him bad gestures and shaking his fist at him and pulled up at a stoplight and Justin said that he got out of his car, walked up to the kid's window, his little college boy's window. Justin's hands are like, they're massive. He's just a massive guy, but he's old, but he's a massive guy. And he said, I just said to that boy, son, the only reason why I'm not tearing your head off and shoving it down your throat is because of the grace of God. Let me tell you about the grace of God. And there, as the kid's stuck at the stoplight, he preached the gospel to him. That's Justin Alfred. The guy's just massive and scary. And his, old, or his, his daughter, who had just recently graduated from high school, broken up with this man. The guy hit her with his car and killed her. And uh, talking with him after that, He said, I thought that the greatest temptation for any man was lust. 
It's nothing. Lust is nothing compared to revenge. It's nothing. Like to, to, to just have revenge boiling in you to want to give proper retribution to this person. Their lawyer said that his, his statement was that she ran in front of his car. There was a chance that he was going to get off on, on charges less than murder of manslaughter. They thought that if he got off on that, um, there'd be no record for him um, if, uh, if they failed at the murder charges. And so the family decided to settle for the lesser charge of, of manslaughter. And so this man is still out. He's out of prison. He's out today. And Justin talked about how he had to learn to forgive this man who killed his daughter. Now, I, as we said here this morning, you could think of two extremes of how do you forgive, right? Now, you start thinking of the stuff that you have against somebody else or things that have been in your life in which people have sinned against you. And then you read a text like we have this morning saying, therefore be imitators of God as dear children. You read the text that came before that and it says, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And so we start thinking, what is that forgiveness to look like? If we're called to forgive, what is it to look like? Even as God in Christ forgave you. Let's take this apart and look at forgiveness. You remember in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 12, where Jesus says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We've all memorized that. We pray that. But think of what it's saying. God, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us. Even as we forgive. There may be many here this morning who don't want to be forgiven that way. You start looking at how you forgive and you think, oh, I don't want him to forgive me in the same manner in which I forgive others. Because it's just not proper. The biblical position of what forgiveness should look like is different than that. Jesus illustrated this in Matthew 18, verse 21, where it says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Now you know that Peter felt that he was an overachiever when he said that, right? How many times? Like seven. I mean, you probably like in his head, it was like three strikes, you're out. But I'm going to go big because I'm Peter. He's going to think I'm awesome, right? Like, it's like seven times, Lord. And Jesus says to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be, that he be sold. He, his wife, his children, and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. 
And then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me. I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he, paid, till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved. and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Isn't that powerful? It's incredibly powerful. The illustration is such that it's if God has forgiven you the 10,000 talents, and it's far more than that, right? How do we not forgive someone of something so far less? It just doesn't make sense. If, if, if God's forgiven us of every sin, past, present, future, everything, every sin against him, are we to grab somebody by the throat and say, oh, I will never let this go? God says it's be a wicked servant that did such a thing. We are to look at the way in which God has forgiven us and not think that we are amazing for saying, for up to seven times. But here the Lord says, no, up to 70 times seven, and consider what you have been forgiven. Consider what you are forgiving others of. Freely forgive. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you. And brothers and sisters, our forgiveness is amazing. It is. Let's look at that as we look throughout just a few sections of Scripture. Isaiah 1.18 tells us, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are like crimson, they shall be as wool. Your sin, that's like scarlet, will be as white as snow. And so we look at the way in which we are forgiven. Your sin is incredibly wicked, and yet God will make it as white as snow like wool. Therefore, the sin of those that are against us, that are asking for forgiveness, that are in need of forgiveness, even whether they're asking or not, should we not extend grace there? And not just, well, I'll never see you the same again. But the model there is, as white as snow. Micah 7.19 He will again have compassion on us and he'll subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. These are images that are given for us. God takes our sins, all of them, the host of them, as much as the sand of the sea. He takes them and he hurls them into the depths of the sea. Never to be seen again. Gone. And then he tells you, forgive like I've forgiven you. 
It's not something that we hold on to. Forgive, and I'll never forget. Or, well, I forgave you, but every time you make me mad, I'm going to bring it up. Or even in my head, you're going to say something about me? I mean, look at what I've done for you. I forgave you of that. That, that, that's That's a big one. Remember that? 18 years ago? It was huge. And now you're going to bring up this little speck in my eye? eye? And that's the way that we think. And yet God says, no, as soon as you bring that up, you have failed miserably in forgiving the way Christ has forgiven you. He hurls it into the depths of the sea. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far as as he removed our transgressions from us. Is that good? It's good, isn't it? When you think of the host of all of your sins, God says, okay, just so you know, as far as the east is from the west, how far is that? It's far. It's as far as it could possibly be, right? As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed your transgressions from you, your sin from you, that's how he's done it. He says, imitate me. Imitate me like that. Have it be where it's as far as the east is from the west. That's the way that you forgive those that have sinned against you. He tells us that our sins are blotted out, that they're remembered no more. Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. What an awesome God we serve. The deal that we get as far as the way in which our forgiveness looks could not be better, brothers and sisters. It could not be better. And yet God says, imitate me. Forgive as I have forgiven you. He's pardoned all of our sin jeremiah 50 verse 20 in those days and in that time says the lord the iniquity of israel shall be sought but there shall be none the sins of judah but they shall not be found for i will pardon those whom i preserve i'll pardon them if a person is pardoned by the president It's not even on his record anymore. It's not on her record anymore. It's gone. They're pardoned. That's what God has done for us. He has pardoned it. He has made it so that the sins of Israel, if they're sought out, they will be none. Sins of Judah, they won't be found. You can't find them anymore. They've been pardoned. Forgive that way. He's washed us. He set us apart, sanctified us. He's justified us. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were set apart. You were justified in the name of of the Lord Jesus, and by the Spirit of our God. This is what took place. Washed, set apart, sanctified, justified. This is what He's done for you. Are we to forgive others the same way? Washed, set apart, justified. Picturing them as Christ pictures them. Imitate Him. Wiped out, nailed to the cross, Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you, being dead in your trespasses and and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Notice these words, all, all trespasses. Having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements 
that was against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, all of it erased, gone, removed, nailed to the cross, gone. And so it just seems absurd to say, I'll never forget that. Now you are dead to me. We will never be reconciled. I'll never forgive you. The words that come forth out of our mouths. Statements like those are incredibly wicked considering the debt that has been forgiven us. Our forgiveness is eternal. There's no condemnation. Romans 8, 33 and 34. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. They can't bring a charge against us. All of it is gone. You take the worst sins that you've ever committed. There's no charge that can be brought against you because Christ died for you. Not a chance of a charge even being brought against you. There's no condemnation because He fulfilled it all. He paid the price for it all. You're completely forgiven. And so ought we to bring a charge to the person who sinned against us? Ought we to condemn them? And then think about this. Who did Christ forgive? Look at Luke 23 and verse 33. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and one on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now, we can elaborate on this. They've whipped him 39 times with the cat of tails. They've, they've beaten his face as they've put a bag over his face. They've plucked out his beard. They've spit upon him. They put a crown of thorns on his head and then slammed it with the scepter. They've nailed him to the cross. They hate him. They're mocking him. They're torturing him. And they're murdering him. And he's saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. I'm of the persuasion that Jesus always prayed prayers that were perfectly in alignment with the Father's will. With the Father's will. He always prayed prayers perfectly in alignment with the Father's will. Therefore, I'm of the persuasion that when he's praying those prayers, he's praying for specific people. And his prayer was answered. I believe that when he prayed that prayer, Father, forgive them, it wasn't just a statement that was being made simply to show his heart I think it does show his heart, but I think it's even more than that. I think he was specifically praying for these people who are sneering at him, spitting upon him, mocking him, those that who have nailed him to the cross. And I believe that you will see some of those people in heaven. The very people who are murdering him, torturing him, he is forgiving. Therefore, how ought we to forgive?
Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Imitate Him. He forgave those that were torturing him and murdering him, mocking him. And he was innocent. We won't be able to finish what we looked at. We'll begin next week. I want to close this with this. God knows every one of you. He knows those that have sinned against you. He knows what's going through your mind right now. He knows who you're recounting. You know when you bring things up. You know when you harbor bitterness in your heart. I can think of someone who a spouse sinned against the other spouse in a terrible way. But for nearly two decades, one of the spouses just treated the other one poorly. The other one just stayed because they felt like I deserved it. destroy them. That unforgiveness will destroy you. It will destroy you. There's such a freeing thing of doing what God's called us to do and forgiving. It doesn't mean always that reconciliation will take place in a perfect way, especially if the other person is not repentant. there is something freeing about saying I want to forgive because I have been forgiven so much God help me to forgive like that the calling here in this passage is be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you therefore be imitators of God as dear children and brothers and sisters the good news is you're not called to do this in your own strength in your own abilities through your own efforts It's the Holy Spirit who resides in you, who even at this moment, as you're hearing these things, is able to mold you and to conform you into his image, to cause you to be holy, to cause you to be imitators of him, to be like him, to see things like him. He's able to do that in your heart to where there's this freeing, there's a heart that's so hard and God just makes it tender. It's an act of God that does that. Sometimes the people have the hardest time showing grace are those that think that they are all that. They don't think that they need that much grace. Therefore, it's very difficult for them to show grace. But the person who knows that they're a sinner, knows what God has forgiven them of, knows the debt that's been paid for them, sees the extent of their own sin and that they're worthy of eternity and hell and what God has done for them. He's washed it all the way. He's blotted out. He's hurled it into the depths of the sea as far as the east is from the west. So far as God removed it from you. He hides it behind his back. He remembers it no more. You're as white as snow. This is what God has done and you know there's a heap of it. Sometimes for that person it's easier to say, how could I not forgive, Right? But if you're holding on so tight, maybe you're just a little bit too self-righteous to think that, no, I'm not showing grace. We need to pray for God to break us. Show us our sin. Show us what he's done. 
and through His enabling. The Holy Spirit's working. The Holy Spirit's conforming us. There is a freedom that comes. It will change your life. Joy that you'll have that you didn't know was ever possible to have again. To be forgiven. And to extend forgiveness to others. We're called to do it. And he'll enable you to do it. I'm certain that the Holy Spirit knows each person here. And he is so good to work in your heart on this day. If you're thinking, why am I here? (laughs) More than likely, you know. God has you here for a reason. He's doing some heart surgery. And it is going to bless you for the duration. Will you pray with me? Lord God, may the gospel be so precious to us this morning. You took the whole of all of our sin, nailed it to the cross as you hung there. You became sin for us. You've forgiven us of every sin that we've ever committed. Help us to love you. Help us to love the gospel. But Lord Jesus, help us to live the gospel out to others. We are so dependent upon you for the enabling to imitate you. There's no imitating the good and the bad. There is only imitating the good, for you are only good. May we imitate you. Mold us into your image. Change us. Change your hearts. Please, Lord, don't have us hold grudges and unforgiveness on others in whom you have already died for and have forgiven. May we forgive as you have forgiven us. May we say prayers like forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and have there be some joy in that prayer. Some confidence in that prayer. Forgive us, Lord. Enable us to forgive others. And may we be those who have been forgiven such a great debt that we joyfully worship you. And far be it from us ever to grab someone by the throat and demand from them. When there's thousands upon thousands of debts in which you have freed us from. Thank you for our pardon. Thank you for making a payment that we can never make. May it cause great joy in the saints here on this morning. And Lord, I pray for a sweet enabling of your Holy Spirit to do things in us that we are not able to do on our own. And we will return and give you all the glory. Now, Lord, be glorified through the praises of those whom you have forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen.